Today's message is going to be a, uh, somewhat of a historical teaching lesson since we're starting out with Bami Bar. Uh, but the title in the wilderness is the English for Bami Bar. This parasha starts the fourth book of the Torah, Sefer Bami Bar, or the book of Numbers, the book in the wilderness. This book amplifies the importance of the Levitical priesthood for maintaining Israel's spiritual health and emphasizes the value of faith and obedience. Now this last week, Israel celebrated its birthday. How many know what birthday it was? 75. And just as we read in Tehillim 122 this morning, Shalu Shalom Yerushalayim, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. Bamibar 147 through. We have to wait for the word to come down. Bamibar 147 through 54 says the following. But the Levites after the tribe of their fathers were not numbered among them. For the Lord had spoken unto Moses, saying, Only thou shalt num not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister un unto it, and shall encamp around about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle set us forth, forward, the Levite shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levite shall set it up, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard throughout their hosts. But the Levite shall pitch around about the tabernacle of testimony, that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levite shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. Now, the tribe of Levites was not initially counted as God had instructed Moshe. He instructed him not to do that. It was done for a reason. They were not to be accounted as part of the general population, but were to be set apart for God's service. Let's go back and look at a couple verses here. Go back to verse 49 and 50, which says this. Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle, and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it, and shall encamp around about the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle of testimony... They were to encircle it. So they were not only set apart, but they were used to be a buffer between God's presence and the general population. God's chosen people. Shemot 20, 18 through 21 says this. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, 
and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. So as we always read verses, as we read scripture, we always ask the question, why? Well, let's look at this example. Vayikra 10, 1 through 6, and Shemot 30, verse 9 says this. And Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went a fire out from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Azaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Itamar, his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. So not only do we see the separation between the general population, but we also saw that there was a higher standard mandated and required for those that were in this buffer zone between uh, the presence of God and between the general population. But there was also a, a higher standard, ones that were set apart for those that were called to do the service of God. Now, the Levites were known to keep God's commands, and they would prove that. They would hold on to God's words, which is why they were selected by God. Bamibar 3.11-13 says this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine. Because all the firstborn are mine, for on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast, mine shall they be, I am the Lord. Now turn to Bamibar chapter 3, verses 40 through 41, which says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Number all the firstborn of the males of the children of Israel from a month old and upward, and take the number of their names. And thou shalt take the Levites from me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn from among the children of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstlings among the cattle of the children of Israel. So not only was there another selection process besides the firstborn, but the Levitical priesthood tied with both of them uh, together. The firstborn belongs to the Lord but now is to be replaced by the Levites. Now, why were the Levites chosen for this role of replacing the firstborn, and why were they chosen as a buffer between the people of God and God's presence? Why? Because of the golden calf incident. Remember? The Levites resisted the sin. Remember? The Levites fought the sinners. Remember? I lost a couple remembers. Okay. And thus gained the right to their place to be used of God 
to preserve the nation of Israel's spiritual health. Preserving the nation of Israel spiritual health. Shemot 32, 15 through 28 says this. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both, both of their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger, anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he, took, and he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in fire and ground it to powder and, and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of the Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are mischief, they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Now, that section of verse is really interesting. You know, Aharon's talking to Moshe, and he said, I just took all the jewelry out of their noses, out of their ears. I told them to bring it. I throw it into the fire. And what pops out? A cake. A cake of a calf. Does it say that? Yes, he says it. But we read in other verses what? He fashioned it after it was whole. You see the distance that he was creating? Throwing the people under the bus. Let's continue on. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in, in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of, of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about three thousand men. Okay. I want everyone to just put your hands like this. Just go like this. Now your left hand, go like this. And that is going to focus in on the laws, commandments, and instructions associated with the flesh. Then I'm going to take your right hand and go like this. And this is for the laws, commands, and instructions associated with our spirits. How many know we are both, put them together, flesh and spirit, right? And they're constantly fighting, aren't they? So there's commandments for the physical and there's commandments for the spiritual, right? Now, when it comes to looking and reading Tanakh, a lot of it's focused in on the physical. When we look at our Talmud, the Brit Chadashah, we see more instructions that relates to our spiritual well-beings. 
So the completeness of God's word that's given to us in this 21st century is something to deal not only with our flesh, but also deals with our spirits. And so we have to be able to understand the points of where they interact and the significance of it. You just can't group all of it together and say, well, I don't have to do this or I don't have to do that um, because I believe in Yeshua, so I don't need to do that. And that's the wrong separation of the guidance. This is just very general to begin with. Now today, as Messianic Jews and today as Messianic believers, we're now a part of a chosen generation, right? Chosen generation, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, they had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know, we don't have time to get into it, but you know, the first attempt at trying to deal with the, the original sins that occurred was to provide commandments and instructions to try to control the flesh. But how many know that instructions and commands may appear to control the flesh, but they don't really touch the heart, right? You can really look good on the outside, following and being obedient to, to commands, but on the inside, you're dark. Whitewashed tombs on the inside, are outside, and darkness on the inside. So we see a lot of that instruction that was given on Hart C9 as, as dealing with the physical aspects, which, which allowed for the, or required this buffer to occur because the spiritual aspects were actually happening inside the buffer along inside the presence of God, where Moshe and the Levitical priesthood and those that were close to God resided. Now us, as believers in Yeshua, a chosen generation, we did not earn the right to stand as a buffer as the Levites did. Instead, we've attained the right through believing in the mercy of the redemption power of the blood of the Lamb, who is who? Yeshua. Now, over time, the sacrifices disappeared, and we know they disappeared in 70 AD when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by who? The Greeks? How many say the Greeks? How many say the Romans? How many say the Greco-Romans? How many don't know? How many don't care? The Romans destroyed it in this time frame that we're talking about. It is at this point that the Levitical priesthood has nothing to do. Once the temple's destroyed, they have nothing to do. There's no servant work. They have nothing to do in the physical realm. The physical realm, they have nothing to do. And you realize that they also don't have anything to do in the spiritual realm. They had nothing to do in the spiritual realm after Yeshua was crucified, buried, and resurrected 
for the temple atonement, the temple atonement sacrifices were no longer accepted by God. How many know it's written in Rabbinic Talmud? We've taught it before. It's in there. It explains it that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the white cord no longer turned from red to white. It's no longer turned to white. We see all the other miraculous things that happened in the, in the temple during this time of Yom Kippur that it no longer happened because it was no longer an acceptable sacrifice 40 years before the destruction of the temple. And for you math geniuses, 70 AD minus 40 is what? Around 30 AD, right? Come on, get your abacuses out. So you see here where there's something that happens. Didn't matter that the temple was destroyed and they could no longer provide the sacrifices. That sacrificial acceptance was stopped when Yeshua did what he did. Read it in Talmud. It's there. Just you got to think backwards. The destruction of the temple led to the written rabbinic Talmud and formalized rabbinic Judaism, which was carried forth by the Pharisees, the Parashim, which is the root of Orthodox rabbinic Judaism today. Now, since the Levitical priesthood and Sadducees, which controlled the temple, disappeared, a replacement of the Levitical priesthood was necessary in rabbinic Judaism, where it was then taught in the shuls, in the schools, the shuls in, in Orthodox Judaism, shuls, uh, which was effective in the diaspora to maintain the commandments and instructions and the way to live and the Jewish culture, um, to maintain the spiritual health of Israel, and now the emphasis to emphasize the value of faith and obedience. But as Messianic believers in Yeshua, we know that God had provided another way for salvation other than what was laid out in the Council of Yavne, and we find in the, in the Talmud. There was another way of salvation which was rejected in Rabbinic Judaism, and there was another way for salvation. There was another way for spiritual health and to emphasize the value of faith and obedience. His plan for the replacement of the Levitical priesthood had to occur without the ability any longer to perform the physical sacrifices. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, and verse 13, and then chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, says the following. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know ye the Lord. For all will know me, from the least to the greatest. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which, now that which decayeth and waxeth, waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly, worldly sanctuary. 
the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way of the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure of the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. A change by necessity. A change not because of the law being changed, but because of a change in the priesthood. Hebrews 7, 11 through 12 says this. If therefore perfection were by the, by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being cha changed, there was made a necessity of change also of the law. You see, it was imperfect because it dealt with left hand, the flesh. It was imperfect because it couldn't deal with the heart. Remember the, the example of the man picking up the sticks. I keep emphasizing that because it takes you into the inside. And in this time frame, even the people couldn't tell why he was picking on sticks on Shabbat. So they take him to Moshe. Moshe doesn't know. Why is that? Tell you in a second. He takes them too to God. Does God hesitate? No, like lightning, he says to do what? Kill him. How can that be? Because God knows the what? The heart. Man knows the outward and the actions, but God knows the heart. So it's the heart that has to be dealt with. The law in that time is imperfect to contain the evilness of the heart. You need another change. You need a new heart. You need something that's changed on the inside, not the outside. So instructing changes, when the instructor had to change, new instruction was instituted because it was imperfect. Why was it imperfect? Besides what I just told you, Hebrews 7, 13 through 16 says this. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that for that, after a similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the, after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. This demonstration, this demonstrated the change from physical realm to a spiritual realm. You see, Moshe represented the issues in the spiritual or the physical realm, whereas Yeshua represents the spiritual realm. Introducing new instruction for a new priesthood. The book of Hebrews is very important in explaining the replacement of the Levitical priesthood. Very important, very uh, significant. For example, Hebrews chapter 3. 
as a reference. It discusses how Yeshua is superior to Moshe. Why? Because he deals with the spiritual aspects. He deals with the things that are eternal, and he deals with the things that allows for us to also live a life everlasting and avoid the judgments. Hebrews chapter 5 references the Mashiach ben Yosef, Yeshua. He's the high priest who was over a haron. Hebrews 5, 5 through 6 says this. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, why is this referenced in Hebrews? Well, let's look at Tehillim 1.10 verse 4, which talks about Melchizedek. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And let's continue with uh, the example of, of another order. Another order of Melchizedek. Where is that talked about? Hebrews 7, 1 through 3 says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter, the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now there's many interpretations about this um, that you hear in, in Christian denominations. They had no beginning or no end. Um, a lot of the Christian denominations don't understand the Jewish roots or understand the beginning or significance. But Melchizedek was a physical man. What this is saying is, is there's no lineage that's, that's in Scripture. There's no lineage as to where he came from or what descended after him. He has no beginning or no end. However, by using that as an example, it lays well into showing that Yeshua has no evidence of a beginning or no end because he was, he is, and he shall ever be. He's always been here. A real physical man was Melchizedek and not Yeshua incarnates, which some denominations teach, but rather like a type and shadow of Yeshua that was to come. Look at the proof of Yeshua over the high priest role in scripture. Look at Vayikra 21 verse 10, which says this. And he that is, is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on, on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. So he shall not uncover his head, and he shall not, what? Say this, rent his clothes. Right? Vayikra 21.10. He shall, shall not. He, he may not. Let's play lawyer. He may not. He shall not. That means no wiggle room. He shall not. Right? All right, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, 62 through 68, which says this. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, 
that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes. What? What? What was that again? Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophecy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? This man was the high priest in the physical, but he was standing in front of the real high priest, Yeshua HaMashiach. He disqualified himself as the high priest. He may have been standing in the physical, but he wasn't the high priest. Yeshua who stood before him is that. That explains why he came in the order of Melchizedek. Because Avram gave Melchizedek a tenth of the tithe, right? Which shows he's honoring him as a high priest. Who was in the loins of Avraham? Who was in the loins of Avraham? The Levitical priesthood. So they're subordinate even to Melchizedek when Avraham gave that tenth. So if the Levitical priesthood is gone for now, with no need for Levitical servants to serve a temple that doesn't exist, we now are the acceptable priesthood based upon scripture who have access to the holy things of God through Yeshua, whose kingdom is not of this world in physical, but whose kingdom is spiritual at the moment until he changes it in the future. That was a long way to explain a timeline. Hebrews 8, 1, 5, chapter 9, 23-24 says this. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who sat on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man hath somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be the priest, be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern, show to thee in the mount. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, spreading the gospel, and no longer are the servants needed because he uses his friends with his Ruach HaKodesh indwelling in them to do his bidding throughout the world 
through spiritual gifts being manifested. Yochanan John 15, 14 through 15 says this. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And we have access that is no longer limited. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now our works are with our right hand through our spirits. When we're in this spirit, there's no need for the law. Do you understand what that means now? When you're in the spirit, there's no need for the law. But what do you do when you're in the flesh? Are you in the spirit? And what do you use when you're in the flesh to contain the flesh, the law? How many follow the Ten Commandments? How many struggle with the Ten Commandments? Everyone struggles with the fleshly commandments. How about the spiritual commandments? How many struggle with the spiritual commandments? Differences between the applications that are necessary to follow the commandments. Men, not all 613 commandments are you susceptible to, right? Women, not only 613 commandments you're acceptable to, right? You have to look at the context in which the law or instruction is given for us because he was given it to us by our Father because he cares for us and he does it to protect us. Today, we are to encamp in and around his presence and are to be looked at as light to be distinguished between the holy and the profane, the light and the darkness, the profane or the common, of this world we that's how we in the spirit make the distinction if you don't think if you belong to Yeshua and you try to walk out his instruction because you love him if you love him you will keep his commandments we try to follow his commandments if you walk them out do you actually think you know the scripture says don't hide anything under a bushel let your light shine, right? But I will tell you in these end days, you can't hide your light. If you think you can hide, you won't be able to hide. Just walk in front of some people, just walk in front of individuals of this world and watch how your spirits clash with them. And you don't even know it. You don't understand why there's a problem here. It's because... What does light have in common with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18 says this. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And this isn't, this isn't the physical aspects of separation from them. Now, you're not supposed to participate in the things that they do and that because how else do you bring the gospel if you separate yourself from the world? 
We have to be among the world, but not of the world. Remember, those who belong to Yeshua as our high priest stand as a buffer between God and the world. So hold your ground in these end days and don't be of the world. Make a distinction between the holy profane as a royal priesthood. And remember, you are to maintain your spiritual health through reading his word, praising God, praying to him, and emphasizing the value of faith and obedience to Yeshua through the Ruach HaKodesh that dwells within each and every one of us that belongs to him. Amen? It is our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe author greatness to the author of creation. For he's made us unlike the nations of the lands and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He has not made our portion like theirs and our lot like their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king over kings, the holy one, blessed be he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation and the seat of his glories in the heavens above and the presence of his powers in the most exalted heights. He is our God, there is none other. True is our king, there is nothing beside him as it is written in his Torah. And you shall know this day and take to your heart the Lord, he is God. In the heavens above and on the earth below, there is none other. Amen.